I want to take some of you back to 1967 and introduce 1967 to some of you who weren't around. A six-day war in Palestine. Six days. In six short days, Israel's military inflicted heavy losses on the combined forces of Egypt and Syria and Jordan. They took over significant and huge chunks of land. They deported citizens whose families had lived in some of those areas for centuries. And of course, this caused animosity and chaos. Uh, growing up in the 1960s meant the nightly news was a lot like it is today. Uh, add in a few assassinations, war and war protests every night on the news, and pol- political drama and civil rights protests. But even for a guy like me in eighth grade, the six-day war in Israel kind of stood above all that stuff because... A lot of people took it as a sign that the second coming of Jesus was just around the corner. Yikes! You better pay attention. Hal Lindsey wrote a best-selling book a couple years later called The Late Great Planet Earth. Everybody read it, talked about it. It was in all the churches. His interpretation of biblical prophecy focused largely on the nation of Israel. He said Israel's progress was a sign that Judgment Day was close and would probably occur by 1988. Yikes! I got things to do! My dad took a bunch of us to hear Mr. Lindsay speak one night when he was in the area. The place was crowded. He talked about the prophet Daniel and the wild dream he had about the ten-horned beast, you might recall. And he equated it to the pending European common market. Watch out for that, he said. He talked about Ezekiel's crazy dream that you've read about and scratch your heads and wonder, what is that about? The part about Gog and Magog. And he equated that to Russia And he said that Russia will probably attack Israel and start a nuclear war. And man, we're all looking at each other like, "Mm, yes. Uh, Nobody else said anything. He must be right. He said really, though, at the end of his time, he said, the only thing you really need to understand is if you're with Jesus, you'll be okay. Yikes, I'll stay with Jesus. You know, that's a relief. But 1988... I was thinking me and my buddies should drop out of school and buy a Camaro and drive around and visit all the national parks, you know? We got things we want to see. Um, You've probably noticed anytime something happens in the Middle East, especially around the nation of Israel, people write books and say it's a sign of the time. And this is fulfillment of biblical prophecy in some way. And have you wondered why TV preachers and presidents of our country are so often quick to defend the nation of Israel? Have you ever thought about that? 
We shower them with support and financial aid. It's based on their interpretation largely of the Bible. The belief that God favors the nation of Israel. And a lot of times you might hear the quote, God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. He said that to Abraham. And so through the years, people have just learned to be nice to Israel and maybe God will be nice to us is kind of the thinking on that. What's the Bible have to say about that? About 15 years ago, a Palestinian farmer owned property between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. It contained an olive grove, had been in his family for generations. They made their income off of olive oil. But Jewish settlers nearby wanted his property for their own. They tried to go through the course to obtain it, They offered the guy money he wouldn't accept. So one night the settlers pushed down the wall to his property with a bulldozer and they came onto his property with a backhoe and big trucks, flatbeds. They wanted to take the olive trees at least. By the time the farmer woke up and arrived on the scene, they were already digging up trees and some had already been loaded on trucks. He tried his best. He was outnumbered, but he tried to reason with these folks. He said, this property is mine. It has belonged to my family. I have a deed here from 1854. And one Jewish settler responded, our deed outdates your deed. Here's our deed. And he opened up the Bible, turned to the book of Genesis, and quoted... The words that God spoke to Abraham back in Genesis 12. This, I'm sorry, Genesis 17. The whole land of Canaan where you are now as an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. It's confusing. Those settlers conveniently used the Scriptures to justify taking land and discriminating against their neighbors. Yet they ignored the same Scriptures that speak of justice and loving your neighbor as yourself. What to do? Well, this leads me to the final word picture of the church. We've been going through what the Bible says the church is like during this month of July. And I will tell you today that this might cause you high blood pressure. This might be different than what you've heard before. It might cause you to reevaluate your views. I hope it does. I hope it causes you to go back into the Scriptures and read it for yourself, is what I hope. But mainly, I hope this doesn't cause you high blood pressure. I hope it encourages you to know your status in Christ and who you are in Christ. The final word picture comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 16. Uh, calls God's people the Israel of God. Now think about that for a minute. You in Christ today are the Israel of God. I'm going to dig it in some scriptures and try to show you how that came to be. And I hope that you'll follow along with me This is a stunner, I know. What does this mean? The foundation of this 
talk with you this morning comes from the book of Hebrews and Romans and Galatians. And there's a lot of material I cannot cover at all. I know that. And it isn't a light and easy subject. But you need to see your scrumptilious status in Christ. That's what I hope you'll see. You guys are blessed and highly favored in Christ. It was Paul, the decorated Jewish scholar, who wrote of the great advantages that Old Testament Israel had before the Lord. He wrote these things in the book of Romans. He said they were entrusted with the word, very words of God. They, they got the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And then he goes on to say they had the adoption as sons, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. They had, I'm adding my Bowers paraphrase, they had the Hall of Famers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had the human ancestry of Christ. They had all these wonderful things, this connection with God. And they had this great expectation that God would send to the world the Messiah. And we read about that even in the New Testament. But at the same time, when you read the New Testament, you see that there was a mystery under uh, behind the scenes. Colossians 1 talks about a mystery. It was hidden in the Old Testament. These these things about the way that the Jewish people worshipped and how their history pointed to a Redeemer who was coming to bless the whole world. And things like a blood sacrifice of animals and the Day of Atonement and the Year of Jubilee and the role of priests. All these parts of Israel's culture and history reached their fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a mystery now revealed in Christ. This great change was announced back in Jeremiah, the prophet. He said these things, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. A new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their heart. I will be their God. They will be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Clearly, something new and different is going to happen. What is it? And this very passage that I just read to you is quoted by the author of Hebrews. Chapter 8, or 7 through 13. He adds these critical insights into that passage of Scripture. He says, By calling this covenant new, He has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete in aging will soon disappear. What's that mean? Some big change is taking place, right? What is what is God up to? What's He going to do here? And the guy in Hebrews makes it pretty clear that the old is going to go away and something new is going to take its place. This new deal moves from being 
an exclusive club of one nation, Israel, to an inclusive deal. All nations, all peoples will be blessed through you. This this was a mysterious change and a hard change. But from the very first promise, God made this promise to Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How could that be? The book of Galatians in the New Testament gives us clarity. What insight Paul had. He says the Scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the Gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Wow! If we have faith, we're in the same company. The blessing of Abraham was the good news that all peoples were loved and could be adopted into God's family by the gracious work of Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews adds that the old covenant has been replaced by a a better covenant and with better promises and with better sacrifices. Clearly, even though we don't grasp the fullness of it, God is up to something big and something new and something different. The huge truth is this. The nation of Israel was a physical entity and the church in the New Testament is a spiritual entity. I'll develop that in just a second. It's physical versus spiritual. In order to be in the Old, an Old Testament, in Old Testament Israel, you had to be born into the Jewish family, right? You had to trace your family tree back to Abraham. Your land that you're living on had to be inherited by your ancestors and passed down to you. You traveled to the physical city of Jerusalem three years for the special uh, holy days. Infant boys were circumcised as a sign of their covenant to God. Enemies were physical. They invaded. Uh, Israel invaded them. Babylon, the Philistines, and so on. But new Israel is a spiritual entity. It's spiritual in nature. We, we enter into God's kingdom not through our parents or through our family, but each one of us has to have this spiritual rebirth. Worship isn't limited to a one location, one city, and one nation, but you can worship anywhere in spirit and in truth. Our Jerusalem isn't a, an earthly city. It's a heavenly one, is what the Bible says. And our enemies are not flesh and blood, but they're spiritual forces in the heavenly realms, aren't they? Paul, again, the highly educated, strict observer of the law, sums up the New Deal this way. It's almost amazing, these words. We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and in the glory of Christ, Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. I know I'm probably saying stuff to you that you haven't heard, and uh, probably some of you are going, this is crazy talk, I disagree. It's okay. 
as shocking and as amazing as it might sound to you, the church has the new status that's kind of like what Israel had. It operates under a new covenant with God. It's entered into in a spiritual way, not in a physical way. It has a new understanding of who God is, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it has a new identity and a new hope and a new purpose. And this is not to look down on the nation of Israel or reject them in any way, because from the very beginning, God chose them to be in His family, and He wanted them to usher in the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus. But He also had in mind adding the Gentiles, you and me, to the family of believers. So the New Testament gives us three pictures to illustrate this mystery now revealed in Christ. I'll just try to hit each one of them briefly, and there's much more to be said than I'm saying this morning. But the first analogy is the olive tree. And this comes in a full explanation in Romans chapter 11. The olive tree represented God's people. The roots were sunk into God. The trunk and the and the whole system was based on God's promise to Abraham. It was made up of natural branches, the, the Jewish race. They were faithful, believing Jews. They were the roots and the trunk of the tree. But by God's grace, amazingly, new branches have been grafted into the tree. Those branches are made up of faithful and believing Gentiles like you. We are all part of the same tree. God is making the two one. Since the days of Isaac and Ishmael, there had been tension. But in Christ, Ephesians 2 tells us the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. By the work of the expert tree surgeon, former enemies are now grafted into the family, into the tree, and they're producing beautiful olives all over the world. Our mission partners recently wrote of a woman named Hawa, who became a Christian in Alleyland. And she immediately showed a change in her life. She had great joy and a new perspective. And her mom realized something was different about her adult daughter. And she confronted her. What have you done? And Hawa confessed to her that she became a Christian. Her mom reacted like the traditional alley mind. This girl has betrayed the faith and betrayed our family, and she turned her into the police. Hawa has been in jail for the last five weeks in alley land. She goes before a judge this month to be sentenced. At the very least, she faces a lifetime of Rejection from her family and her neighbors. But there's more. She could possibly be given a long jail sentence. Possibly she could be executed. Now, Hawa is our sister. She's a branch in the tree right next to you. Pray that God will protect Hawa. 
and help her to be strong and courageous and keep producing fruit. She's with us. None of us deserve to be grafted into the tree, but the grace of God made it possible for us to be in there. Thank Him for it. And while new branches are added to the tree every day, those who were once part of the tree who've rejected Christ have been pruned away. They've been broken off. That's what it says in Romans 11.20. It's through faith in Christ that you stay in the tree. The first church in Acts chapter 2 was made up of Jewish believers. In Acts 10, we read that Cornelius and his family were grafted into the tree. And the olive tree keeps adding new branches ever since. If you come and think about it, at your baptism, you were grafted into the tree. That's when it happened. Man, what some amazing stuff. But here's the second term that the New Testament uses for you who are now in Christ. You're, you're an olive tree by faith in Christ. You're also part of Abraham's family. Now, the kids who were with me in kids' worship a hundred years ago remember one of the favorite songs there. I don't know if they still do this song anymore, but Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, head up, head down, turn around, sit down. It was the song that never ended, really. You just kept doing it over and over. But the idea is still there. We are part of Abraham's family. From long ago, God planned our adoption through Jesus. You can read about that great mystery again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Uh, The bottom line is, none of us are worthy of this adoption. We were all orphans, all far off. But God made a way, and so now we're justified by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And this shared faith is what makes us a child of Abraham. Abraham said, let me, let me read this amazing truth for you from Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29, making special note of the last sentence. You are all sons of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What status you now have in Jesus. What an amazing truth. Look at where you are and whose family you're in. Oh my goodness. And what a huge role reversal this is. Orphans have been adopted. And Paul makes the distinction very clear. He says in Romans chapter 9, he says, they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel because some from Israel rejected Jesus. They didn't put their faith in Him. They trusted in their old ways. And they missed the way of Christ. So being born... A Jew is no guarantee, but being born again is a whole different story, right? Romans chapter 2, Paul says, He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is done in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. 
And the circumcision that is, which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. There's a heart surgery that takes place. You've been born again. You're brand new in Him. Now, students of the Bible will remember that the prophets often accused their nation of Israel of uncircumcised hearts. God was looking for a people that not only followed the law, but followed Him with their whole heart. Not out of drudgery, but out of joy. Not out of religion or religious obligation, but out of relationship. Not that I got to, but I get to. John Stott said in his commentary in the book of Romans, human beings are very comfortable with what is outward, visible, material, and superficial. What matters to God is a deep, inward, secret work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's the true circumcision. Okay, so now we get to the third term of your new status in Christ, the picture of the church, the Israel of God. And I will tell you, I spent a lot of time reading this week. We have a lot of commentaries in our church library, and you can go online as well. Uh, You could read for many hours on what this means and what people think it means, the Israel of God. And I do not pretend to have all the answers for you today. But I know our status has changed. Things are different. From the text that we've discussed today, I believe it's accurate to say the true Israel of God and the true descendants of Abraham are those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. The Gospel is for the Jew for sure, but it's also for the Greek, as it says in Romans chapter 1. So there's a group of uh, that are called Messianic Jews. These are Jewish people born and raised in the Jewish traditions who have put their faith and trust in Christ. Just like the first church. James and Barnabas and Peter and later Paul, Messianic Jews. And there is certainly a hope in my heart and a prayer that all peoples will turn to the Lord, including all citizens of the nation of Israel. God can save anybody He wants to. He More power to Him. I hope He does. But I, I want you to know today your status in Christ. Uh, there's a spiritual Israel. It's made up of those who have accepted, I'm quoting now Bob Shannon's book, The New Testament Church. Spiritual Israel is made up of all those who will accept God's call by faith. Just as God called Abraham out of Ur, just as He called Moses out of Midian, and Israel out of Egypt, the church is made up of those who have responded to God's call. That's you. I need to close. Shay and Lauren, I can invite you back up. Let me just give you a couple takeaways. I would say, first of all, takeaway number one is this. Slow down on prophecy about the end times. Jesus repeatedly said in Matthew chapter 24, uh, No one knows the day or the hour, not even the sun or the angels. As far as I have studied and as far as I know, the Lord could come back right now. He is not waiting for anything or anybody. 
But Peter tells us that the Lord is waiting so more people will come into the family of God. It's by His mercy and grace that He's giving us more time to repent and come to Him. But I think He can come back today if He wants to. He doesn't need anybody's permission, does He? Second, this is a hard thing, but when you read and hear about the nation of Israel, I hope that you'll reconsider that thinking. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It is an amazing statement. I hope that you will just enjoy that status in Christ. And last, I just hope that you'll lift up your head and be encouraged. If you're in Christ, you're part of the olive tree, a child of Abraham, and an heir of the promise. When, When Paul got done with his writing at the end of Romans chapter 11, he he just burst out in praise. He could not contain himself when he finally wrote out this mystery and said, oh my goodness, do you know what this means? Do you know what this means, you guys? And then he wrote these words, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. God had kept it hidden for all those years and revealed it in Christ so that you could be adopted into the family of God. Oh my goodness, how much He loves you. We're going to sing right now. If you would like to talk about this stuff with me, if you would like to be part of the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth, part of the family of Abraham, part of the body of Christ, that's what we are trying to be here. Uh, Lots of good places around here are doing the same, but we would invite you to think about joining us giving your life to Christ.